Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Nick. And we're track walking. That's how I'm doing it from now on. Is the you're gonna draw out the and instead like, of and we're track it? walking, and we're track walking. <laughs> Just all the the different emotions you can put into that phrase. Seth, how do you eat cereal? Briefly for the people. Um, with no milk, and I don't even use a spoon. I lick it out of the bowl with my tongue like a horse. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Do you, do you not like have a strap behind your head? You just like food trough yep. it? Yeah, not even joking. Seriously. I like to pack. I, I eat my cereal out of a cup because I find it's easier to portion. Then I put as much milk as I possibly can. And then in the morning, I'm on a time crunch. But when I like do my dessert cereal like I am now, I pour it in and I walk away for like 10 minutes. And then I come back and I eat it. Nick, how do you eat your cereal? <laughs> this is probably the worst introduction we've done. Yeah, yeah, not like you guys. Um, I put the cereal in first, pour the milk on it, and uh, time it perfectly so that whenever I'm eating, it is the perfect level of crunchy, but not too soggy. So right. Nick is clearly the most conventional person here. Yes. Yeah. By a, by a country mile, which is weird because he times attack, and that's not normal. Yeah, that's but, weird. But we're going to talk about that. <laughs> um, hi, Nick. Hi, Scott. Talk to um, – we have Nick Coors on tonight, if uh, if you didn't read the, the title or anything about it. Um, Nick – I'm going to start with where I met Nick, which was the one lap of America. He had... I, have a, I have a better intro story about that. Oh, fine. Go for it. Okay. So, one lap of America. Nick shows up with two of his buddies in a, what, 500 horsepower Civic, supercharged Civic? This is the same as my story. No, but it's... <laughs> so, he shows up. And you, the three of you, were the most bro guys that I've ever seen on one lap. And Seth, and I hold up one second. <laughs> there was four of us. Was it four had, of you? And we had two Civics. I just remember yes. your car. Yes, that is why, why do, Okay, I'm bad at this. I remember the bro guys. I remember a Civic. And I remember conversations whenever you guys left the room of how long... You were going to make it through the week before you blew up. And we all had bets on it because nobody thought looking at you guys and looking at the car that you had any chance of making it through the week. Um, the car was definitely going to blow up and you guys were going to go home sad. And um, we were so wrong. Like everything about you was we were wrong about. And I apologize for it um, well, because you're a wonderful person. First of all, we did go in there looking like bros. And okay, maybe we're right we, we also didn't really have high expectations. We <laughs> kind of figured something was going to go wrong at one point. And we 100% just like we were winging everything. It was it, we were there for a good time, of that, course. That I believe wholeheartedly. But, but you were so fast. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, uh, the whole time just us four we were just talking we were, we were talking about uh yeeting it y-e-e-t <laughs> yeeting it as hard as we could without oofing and that was kind of like our motto the whole week all, yeets, it, no, all yeet, no oof 
<laughs> yes, exactly. All yeet, no oof. You, you owe me a Coke, Seth. Make a t-shirt for Nick. Um, oh my God, we should. I know. Okay. And I mean, my favorite part about your Civic in particular was, of course, the sticker that was on the back, which was, in quotations, nice Civic, bro, in quotation, attributed to nobody. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Well, officially, it was cool Civic, nobody. But yeah, Ah, um, and that's how that's actually how it got the name of cool Civic, because, you know, I, I I saw it on a Prius or something, cool Civic, nobody. And I got so offended. (laughs) And then I was like, you know, what would be even funnier if I put it on a Civic. Just own it. Yeah, Yeah. just own it. Yeah. Nobody can make fun of me, but me. (laughs) All right. Tell me the origin story for the one lap then. Like why the one lap? Why? Were you guys? Yeah, that's a good question. Were you guys supercharged? We were supercharged. Supercharged. All right, got it. Got that part right. Why bring a supercharged Civic? And was it a Type R? Yeah, it was yeah. the the new Civic Type R. Yeah, talk to me. Um. Well, first of all, that's all, that's what we had. Um. But. <sighs> the actually being interested in one lap of America came from uh, reading blogs that uh, Brian DeFreeze posted. And I mean, he, he obviously, he went everywhere in the country and was doing all sorts of racing in his civic. And I idolized him and thought if this guy could do it, I could do it. So um, I looked into one lap of America, started reading about it. And I mean, it's like a bucket list thing to do for most people. Yep. And I realized it really was not out of reach. Um, I already had the car, uh, supercharged. Um, I just wanted to do some safety modifications and we were pretty much ready to go. So, uh, I convinced, uh, my best buddy Pat to, you know, agree to going out and, the rest was history. I mean, that was uh, actually our first competition with a vehicle ever. I mean, unless you unless you count autocross. No. But yeah, exactly. Yes, we count autocross. It's a it's real racing. It's got. Uh, I mean, it, it's timed. Timed. It's right. timed. Yeah. Um. What tires were you guys on that year? I'm trying to remember. This was 20, this would have been 2019. Yes. And we were on the uh, Falcon 615K pluses. That's right. When those were considered fast. Honestly, even then they weren't really, they were like clearly slower. Yeah, they were a second tier Um, tire. They were still a, a proper tire, but not like the good proper tire. No. But in terms of the tires that we could run on the one lap? Well, the reason we actually picked the tire is we thought way too far into it with like tire longevity and whatnot, which realistically you could get away with running the stickiest tire the whole week, especially on a lower horsepower car. Um, Yeah, so we're we're reading about um, tire wear and whatnot, and uh, the 615K Plus came across as like a decent tire. Um, which if I were to do it again back then, 
um, it was actually not really a good tire just because it was so poor in the wet, like so poor. There are worse, but yes, they're, they're not great. Yeah. But you guys, you guys did well that week though. Where did you guys actually end up? So, uh, funny that you asked that, um, whenever we got there and we were assigned our numbers, I I was kind of questioning why, why the numbers existed and, um, Brock assigns them to the position, the position that he thinks that you're going to end up at the end of the week. I think it's a, it's a huge game for him. It's just a game he plays by himself and we all have to just shuttle along with it. Well, I didn't realize that until, you know, after the event started. So I'm number 70 out of like, what, 80 or 80 some cars. And, uh, I, I was uh, pretty offended. Um, but, (laughs) but reasonably, you know, like, Oh, okay, well let's do better. And, um, by the end of it, uh, we ended up in 20th place overall. That's right. Yeah. I thought you guys were top 20. Yeah. Just barely, but yeah. And that was the year that was our, that was our second time doing the one lap. Yeah, that's when the Miata finally had actual suspension on it. Um, no power, very tiny tires, but at least we had suspension. Well, that your uh, Miata was turbo, right? Oh no, yours wasn't the turbo. No. I thought that yours was. No, no stock, stock VVT. Like okay, like the intake filter was as I bought it. <laughs> I did. That's okay. pretty, I pretty did. flattering, though, to be like, you must have been turbo to be that awesome. Well, I thought like the body style and generation and whatnot, I thought it was the what the Mazda Speed version. What the thing that makes everybody think that um, is because I painted the inside of the headlights black, which is a Mazda that Speed. That was it. Thing. So, yes. Scott's always been a little bit of a hot boy with cars. So. <laughs> If the headlights are chrome inside, you better believe I'm going to melt those down, paint them, and stick them back together. Has to Heck be done. Yeah. Has to be done. Anti-chrome all, all day. Um, so where, where did you actually start? Like, why, why cars in the first place? Well, um, I actually wasn't into cars uh, for most of growing up um at one point i got into motorcycles uh I, whenever i got my license i bought a cbr 600 and loved Classic. it loved it <laughs> went really fast with it or at least what i thought was fast at the time i was about um, to say feel free to take your time around the motorcycle portion of this conversation yeah, we need to know if like like what motorcycles led to that motorcycle. Is there like a, a super young Nick on a little motorcycle? Is there like uh, well, all right. So way back when, yeah, uh, start at the beginning. We got a long podcast. Let's go. All right. Um, it was a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, I was pondering what I was going to do for the day. <laughs> um, I actually uh, started with dirt bikes. Uh, me and my brothers, we got uh, dirt bikes my grandma got us some dirt bikes and uh we go out almost every single day um back in high school and whatnot and what were they we need to know what the dirt bikes were nick uh, 
<laughs> I had a, a KLX 400R, which anybody that doesn't know what it is, it is a very heavy dirt bike. That's um, like a 300 pound dirt bike. Oh, it's so heavy, but I loved it. And um, I, I had that forever. It is definitely the best bike I've ever had, but if somebody were to give me one for free, I don't think I'd want to drive it. <laughs> um, and then my little brother had a uh, CRF 150F, which excellent bike, always ran, um, was a champ. Anybody could ride it. Love that bike. And then uh, my older brother, he had a uh, CRF 450R, I believe it was. And the big, hairy, nasty one. Oh yeah. It, I mean, like it was fast. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, you know, you dump it on a hill climb or something and good luck to your leg, you know, yeah. rest in peace. <laughs> I briefly had one of them and, uh, went, this is not for me. Yeah. What, what, what was your biggest complaint about it? It was moody. Like you needed to be, you needed to be in the right headspace and have the right boot on to make it start. Like, if you were emotionally too excited to ride or not hyped enough to ride, you didn't kick properly. And if the boot wasn't the right weight, you couldn't get the motor going the right speed and it wouldn't start. And so you had to like walk out to the garage in the right frame of mind and put on the right pair of boots and then it was fine. And otherwise you hated yourself and the dirt bike. Um, and yeah. I, I couldn't live with that that level of commitment to a motorcycle. And it was just like way faster than I wanted it to be for the trails that we ride. Yeah. Um, you could like accidentally have it do a flip right out from underneath you. At least I had that issue. Yeah. That bike was the king of yeeting everything. <laughs> I, yeah. We're starting to draw connections already, really. Yeah. Yeah. Over, and honestly, over, I overpowered remember. Mo- overpowered. Uh, vehicles of one kind or another yeah maybe that's where it all started you know i had an overpowered uh dirt bike at one point and i just have been chasing that feeling forever (laughs) dirt bikes high powered dirt bikes will ruin people they spend the whole rest of their life chasing that rush of a vehicle that's literally trying to hurt you badly Honestly, so. whenever I, uh, I mean, the KLX 400 wasn't as fast as the CRF 450, but um, I remember doing the test drive uh, in in this neighborhood, and it's it, like I didn't drive many dirt bikes beforehand, and I remember getting on it and letting out the clutch and accidentally cracking it a little bit hard and i thought i was gonna wreck like right then and there like (laughs) and i get back and i'm shaking and i'm like yes i want it (laughs) whatever this drug is i'll take two (laughs) yes exactly so dirt bikes and that was in kind of through high school yeah through high school pretty much um and that carried all the way through college and I still have a dirt bike um, and my brother still has a dirt bike and we go riding every once in a while. Um, But it's not something that I do all the time. Like I used to. Was that ever like a family activity or how did you actually get your hands on one in the first place? Um, Yeah. My, my grandma wanted to find something for us boys to do to, you know, 
hang out. And so she's like, yeah, go pick out some dirt bikes. And we did. Shoot. And it was great. My grandma took me to ceramics class to hang out with me. I didn't get a dirt bike. Damn. Yeah. My grandma tr- treated us well. That's for sure. That's awesome. All so right. from there you moved to a, a CBR 600. Yes. From there I moved to a CBR 600. Um, which, you didn't uh, die? No, I did not die. And actually, the funny thing with that bike, um, whenever I I convinced my grandma that I needed a motorcycle, of course, and I go out and pick it up, bring it back, and turn it on in the driveway, and she's just looking at it, and she starts crying. <laughs> she's like, you're going to kill yourself. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Which, honestly... About five minutes later, my older brother hops on it, and you just hear him for miles away, you're ripping it. And I'm like, man, she might have a point here. <laughs> <laughs> Giving grandma a heart attack. Yeah. We kept her young. <laughs> so did you ever compete on a bike? No. Um, I always talked about uh, – doing like a motocross or GNCC on the dirt bikes. And I just watched too many people or too many videos of people getting really messed up. So I decided, nah, I don't want to do that. And as far as, um, the motorcycles, uh, I, I, that like never crossed my mind, not even once whenever I was into this, like the crotch rockets, the sport bikes, I never once thought of maybe trying to put it on the track. The, yeah the speed on the street was enough yeah i mean that was back whenever i really wasn't um into racing at all uh i more or less was going for the adrenaline rush sure and so the 600 was great and uh i bought i pretty much traded up bikes every year um i just try different ones i think i've had about 15 motorcycles uh since i was 16 um at pretty much every year i'd get a different one just try them out always a different bike never the same one and what part of the country did you grow up in uh I'm, i've always been around pittsburgh okay yeah so we have like beautiful hills mountains and whatnot to ride in um so that that's kind of what i did with my motorcycles okay so where did cars start coming into the equation i mean i assume you had a car yeah um i had a 1999 toyota avalon wow so yeah so that's that's a serious piece of machinery (laughs) i want to say it had 300 horsepower yeah the v6 the v6 avalons were not slow there was things to make fun of them about but that was a good motor I remember that car for some reason rotated like crazy. Like I, I spun it out on a back road. I don't know how <laughs> it was, it was crazy, but um, yeah, I, I had an Avalon uh, throughout high school and college um, and then ended up with a, uh, a civic. It's so so me and my older brother were exchanging cars kind of, I had my reliable Avalon and he had a Dodge Intrepid RT that always broke. And so whenever his car would break, he'd just snag mine. 
I, like I could be at home, like ready to go back to college and, and like walk outside and my car's gone and it's like, Oh, well that sucks. Yeah. It, it was pretty bad. Um, and then, so then I had the, uh, the intrepid at school and I just go and turn it on the one day and go back into my dorm to get something come outside and it is completely covered. Like I couldn't even see the car, the head gasket blew or something. Yeah. I couldn't even see the car. <laughs> just a so, big cloud of white smoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I, that was before I was into cars and working on things called a tow truck. They towed it away, said that the engine's bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some, I mean, something serious went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Could have been running, and they would have said the engine's bad. But you know, well, it's funny because I shut it off, and whenever the tow truck came, we turned it on, and it it drove itself up and didn't didn't have a puff of smoke. It was really annoying. I was like, I swear it was smoking. <laughs> but it's like, a, it's like a corpse burying itself. I'll go for you, master. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so, um, so the reason I even bring that up is, uh, that's kind of how I got into Hondas in general. Um, my grandma again, bailing me out felt bad for me. So, uh, she's like, Hey, meet me at this dealership, like get one of your buddies to drive you, whatever. So, uh, I meet her at this dealership and she has three cars lined up and she's like, pick the one you want. And it was a, yeah, she was awesome. Damn. I know. Uh, it was a Civic sedan, a Civic Coupe, and a Legacy or something. And just from visuals, I was really attracted to the Legacy. And <laughs> I so I drove it. the Legacy, and I was like, absolutely not. Coming from a Toyota Avalon with 300 horsepower, and then that Intrepid RT that had 350 horsepower the legacy was terrible. And so, so then, you know, two other civics afterwards, you could expect how I, how I, fe- how I feel about these two. Um, I kind of was just disappointed with all of them, honestly. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> it's a tough yeah. Word, yeah. Yeah. But you know, I ended up picking the uh, civic coupe and my grandma was like, actually, no, that's, that's too sporty. So she, she picked the sedan for me <laughs> and Basically. me being immature at the time, I was actually kind of like bummed out, like actually bummed out about it. Like, man, I have to, you know, I'm getting a sit Honda civic. It's so a sedan. annoyed that my yeah. grandma bought me a car. Oh. I know. Trust me. I look back at it. I'm like, <laughs> Nick, you're a terrible person back then. But anyways, I fell in love with it. Like absolutely fell in love with it. Um, it was just a civic EX eighth gen, just like what I have now. Um, but automatic and not the sport model. And um, I just, I fell in love with it. And that's, I think whenever I started liking cars more and more and like looking into things and um, one of my buddies got an STI, I drove it, loved that, fell in love with that. And then that's whenever I was like really getting into cars and looking around at different options, all that good stuff and, uh, decided I wanted an STI. So ventured out to get an STI, looked into 
everything about it, which one I wanted, all that stuff. Went to go buy one. Couldn't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so then I reality hit you there. Yeah, yeah. Reality hit me pretty hard. Like I was I was very upset. Like um yeah, very upset about it. But hindsight, I'm really glad that happened. Yeah, you, <laughs> I dodged a bullet. You, yeah, you dodged a lifetime of super disappointing ownership. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, I was like, well, what now? And I re- realized I really liked my Honda Civic EX, and I wanted something sportier. So why not just get the same thing but an SI? And so I bought an SI. And then – Is that – that, that's the car. The car. Yeah. All right. So at college, yeah. I assume you didn't have any of your bikes up at college. I did. I okay. always had a bike at college. Okay, um, okay. Yeah. I even sometimes drove it through the winter. It'd be snowing on the ground and I'd drive my motorcycle. Hmm. But there was something about the car that was new yeah yeah something about the car um it was new exciting um different like i said i had that avalon like ever since i started driving all the way through college i had the same avalon and then i switched to a modern civic and like you could just feel the car felt better i know it's just a civic ex but uh i drive just a miata so i I get it it's fine (laughs) Yeah, but it, like in the turns, it was feeling sporty and everything. And I'm like, wow, this is great, you know? And um, I think that, oddly enough, a Civic EX sparked, sparked everything. And then the STI really re- reeled me in. <laughs> Driving that STI, I still remember that. It was great. A, a brief aside, I also want to give a shout-out to Grandma. Um how did your grandma become such a badass who like wants to like get you guys into power sports like that that seems an interesting route um i think she just like was a really big fan of us as people and she wanted to do you know see us all happy so uh if we had any interest she backed everything up you know 100 percent. that's cool that's good grandma. yeah yeah, for sure. I mean, she was definitely like my biggest uh, race fan. You know, whenever I was uh, doing grid life my first year, yeah, she watched all of it. You know, awesome. I I remember walking into her her home office and she's on the computer playing solitaire, but you could see the background she had as my car, and I was like, yes, <laughs> that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. How did you? How did you discover autocross? Well, uh, autocross was, I did pretty much just did autocross the year leading up to one lap of America. Um, and the way I discovered autocross, um, I actually went out with, uh, Chris Kavar. You guys know Chris Kavar. Um, he invited me to a, an autocross event out in Blairsville, and he's like, oh, yeah, your car, just go try it out, whatnot. And so I brought it out, and I had a really good time. And I think what reeled me in is I let him drive my car 
and he was way faster than me just like uh you know a week or two ago with somebody else i was about to say (laughs) this has been a long going thing for you well i think that maybe i just really love competition so if somebody beats me i'm like all right this is it this is what i need to do and you were did you just have the one brother i had two i have two brothers one older one younger yep okay it's starting to come into focus now yeah neither of them uh got into racing or anything no but, it's, um, it's fine you had brothers so competition was almost bred like into you oh yeah we always try to one-up each other <laughs> nice one of those things where you're like racing up the stairs or racing to the end of the driveway or like everything yeah been there done that everything's a competition everything yep. we want to individually be the best <laughs> yes nice so what year did you get your what year did you get the automatic civic and then what year did you upgrade to the si uh 2000 and ballpark i want to say 2013 or 2014 i got the automatic civic okay and 2015 i got the si okay yeah, so I didn't have the other I didn't have the EX for too too long. But and I really didn't plan to have the SI for too too long, but uh I think that one's coming with me to my grave. Yeah, so you, at this point. Yeah. You started autocrossing a year before one lap. How how did you go from yeah, I want to be able to beat this guy at one lap to like a supercharged like there's a there's a transformation that we're missing there. Like the car you brought to one lap can't be what you drove at your first autocross. Um, not it wasn't exactly what I drove at my first autocross, but it was pretty close. Um, so you just like supercharged a car for funsies? Oh, definitely for funsies. Um, I remember, <laughs> I remember going to this uh, show, this car show, and seeing this white eighth gen civic with a big blower on it and i'm just staring out of it staring at it and some random guy like walks up behind me and said something along the lines of like this car is so gay i bet it only makes like 100 horsepower stupid honda and i i was like uh what and it turned out to be chris kavar and that was his honda (laughs) you know he's just joking about it um but yeah, and then I talked to him for maybe 10, 15 minutes, and he's like, if you ever want a supercharger, like here's where you should get it, and you should get this one. And like a week later, I'm like, I messaged him, and I was like, I'm going to pick this one right, pick this one up right now. Awesome. Yeah. I, yeah, you've got you've to remember, Seth, that people do modify their cars to not go on the racetrack just because it's fun and cool. It's the the idea, like I've been doing this for so long that the idea of modifying a car without looking at the rules first is like so foreign to me. With the knowledge I have now and knowing what I want to do now, I agree with that. But again, <laughs> whenever I did it, I didn't even think about racing like at all. Well, yeah, you didn't know you weren't ruined yet. Yeah, exactly. Simpler times much much simpler time so you got 
I'm trying to think what all was done to your. You definitely had suspension coilovers and whatnot. Yep, Godspeed coilovers. There it uh, is. Hey, they're good. <laughs> all right. There's worse ones. They were really, really great, and then I got better ones. <laughs> I get it. Um. You yeah. Had those. I, you had your blower kind of intake exhaust, you know, like bolt-on kind of stuff. Um, brakes, did you upgrade the front brakes at all? I did, yeah. I okay. uh, upgraded to the um, Acura TLS Brembo. A, yep, that was it. Which was a really great call. And then I remember you definitely had a seat. Was that still the stock STI seat? No, that was the... Uh, I got this Sparco seat. Um, yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was really comfortable though. So I think it was a good choice for the trip. And you guys had a Bolton four point. Yes. Okay. I did. Yeah. So that, that was like the safety modification that I wanted to make before one lap. I, I did the, uh, seat harnesses, um, four point, which knowing what I know now, I don't know why I didn't have like a Hans device. But, you know, it, it, you, your heart was in a good place. <laughs> I tried. I made it attempts. Me, it your head would have time. been in a completely different place, <laughs> but your heart was in the right place. Right. It took me a long time to convince Brian that he needed a, a head and neck restraint, even after we put the four point in the harnesses in his car. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I had. So I've had the the um the simpson one that you can wear with a, a three-point belt since i had my I cadillac did. i've had that for a really long time and he was he would hem and haw about it and when you finally got him into one he was like yeah all right that's the way to go and i think almost everyone who gets one once you put one on and you feel what it's doing um and you feel how it's going to protect your neck and keep the helmet from trying to rip your head off in a crash you're like oh yeah this is a really good idea. I should always do this. Um, but until you know, you don't know. Yeah, it almost feels weird to be in the car without a Hans on. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I mean, driving Becky's car on the one lap this year, um, like I was wearing my full my full safety gear in her seat um, with a three-point and no Hans device. Like it was very strange <laughs> um like the the three point like I've, I've driven cars on track with the three point but like this was for competition and i didn't have my hands like i was feeling very naked even though like i had everything else on doesn't feel right the weirdest part is to be able to look 90 degrees out the windows it it just feel it just doesn't feel right i get it I get it. Um, so you got so you started doing autocross, but with an already modified car. And did you find your competition fix there, or what was it about that that piqued your interest? Um, was it Chris who got you into it? Yeah, Chris Chris got me to the event, um, and then I ended up, uh, my buddy Ian Kreps, which is the guy with the Type R, yep. 
him and I spent that whole summer going to as many autocross events that we could. Um, I don't know what actually kept me into it because I wasn't competitive at all. I was on, uh, what are they? I, I was on this tire that is terrible. People say that they're, par- I forget what it was. It was probably an indie. Indy 500 or whatever. Ah, oh, we love the yeah. Indy 500. Those are great here. HBD tires. Okay. All right. So there you go. I was in the but right direction. But they're not fast. <laughs> yeah, they're not fast. They're just good for learning with. Yeah. So I had a supercharged Civic with um, the Firehawks <laughs> on it. And it was like a narrow tire. I didn't, at the time, I didn't like get that your wheel and tire could go like much bigger. I don't know. it was a mess. I don't know what I was thinking back then. You just didn't you know did, yet. Yeah, you okay, didn't know. Should... Yeah, don't, don't exactly. Beat up, don't beat up on old or young Nick. You didn't well, know. It's funny. I think about it, and I'm like, man, that was only like four years ago. <laughs> like, what? What an idiot. I don't understand how, you know, I've gone this far in four how years. Get here. What happened? That's what we're trying to figure out, Nick. What happened? <laughs> Yeah, within four years, I went from you know Who running you? Indy five hundred on two fifteens. Um, Dude, you escalated quickly. Yes, quickly. Your car, I mean, supercharged. Your car made a little over three hundred. Yes, about three hundred and twenty. And that was four years ago. Yes, Nick. How much can your car make now? Um, it can make about 750. Jesus Christ. That's, that's a lot. Nick, that's more. I mean, you know that, right? Yeah. What it can and what it should make are two different things. (laughs) We'll, we'll get there. (laughs) Okay. So you, you basically did a couple, you, you told me this at, at Heartland, you did a couple track night in America events so that. Brock would let you do one lap, right? Like you had the bare minimum. Oh yeah. And, um, it was like late in the year that I did them because I wanted to do one lap. It was like, the only reason you got on track was to be able to do the one lap. Well, that was also the time whenever I was, you know, really following, uh, what Brian was doing and whatnot. So I wanted to be on track and what a trendsetter. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I, I was so nervous to meet him. (laughs) I love that so much. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy. But yeah, so I mean, I, I just did the bare minimum to be able to enter the competition. And um, I want to say Patrick, uh, my co-driver, didn't even complete his last required HPD, HPDE until the spring. Like we were like, last second to get in there yeah as long as it's good by the event man that's i only had i had four days four track days before my first one lap see two same two, thing. two grid life weekends and that was it am i the only one who takes this seriously i took it very seriously <laughs> it's the only two events i could go to before <laughs> so nick this must have ruined you like Oh yeah, hundred percent. I am a different person. <laughs> I've seen things, man. Been, been places. I have. 
So um, how did you? Uh, go for what it. was okay? First, like, what was one like? What was the one lap experience for you? Can you can you sort of sum up? You know, going into the week, you kind of have no idea what you're doing. Obviously, um, you're scared to meet Brian, um, but Brian's really nice, and then you do really really well driving at all these different tracks. Like, how do you sum that experience up? Um. Well, it was probably the best experience of my life. Like, honestly, that week could not have gone any better for us. Uh, we went into it with, like, the most positive mindset. Like, hey, let's have fun. Let's make good memories. Uh, let's meet people. Like, everything. And it was like, there was never a dull moment. Even on our, you know, 10-plus-hour drives between events, we were just so hyped up about everything you know, thinking of the possibilities for even the next uh, event that we were driving to, um, you know, being happy with the previous event that we just finished. I, it was just, it was amazing. And then being around, um, you know, somewhat famous people and I'm at the same event as Brian DeFries. Like, honestly, <laughs> I love we're we're not mentioning the fact that Travis Pastrana was there that year too. Screw, I mean, screw. I love the fact that you're like, oh yeah, that one guy was there, but Brian was there. Forget <laughs> Seth, forget me, forget Hollis, forget like whoever the pro drivers were there. Have you heard of Brian DeFreeze? <laughs> exactly. Also, I am slightly offended that like I did like sixty percent of the cool stuff Brian had done with that car prior to then. I was there for that. And and I have no fame. I'm slightly hurt. You might have to take that up with Brian. I mean, <laughs> it was the blog, the blog that pulled me in. I understand. Wait, what? He had a blog? Well, is it, was it a blog? It's like a, it was a yeah, Reddit the, the, post and then he had a website. The triplexer thing. Holy yeah. Crap, all uh, right. Yeah, there's a whole thing we to talk to Brian about when he drove his car across the country and made a this time lapse video, and then he sort of just kept going with that story. And he got, I mean, Nick's not wrong. He was a little bit famous in the right circles. Um, okay. Okay. So, yeah, he he was doing he was amazing big, he was things. Yeah, he was doing like um, he, he kind of showed that you could be like an average guy with a pretty average car and go out and have fun. Like, I think that that was what made me kind of have confidence that I could go out there and do something, you know, like see, if he could do it, I could do it. See, and this furthers my point that the one lap is not about bringing the fastest car you can with the fastest, most prepared drivers. That's not the point. To some people it might be done. Not the point. <laughs> yeah, so, no, it was it was just like it was the best week ever, and we learned a lot. And like it, even in the beginning of it, we weren't we weren't we didn't even bring a tire pressure gauge. Like, <laughs> yes, I love that. that was us. We didn't even bring a tire pressure gauge. I think and, I remember that. I think you guys came to borrow ours at some point. Well, whenever we first started uh, worrying about tire pressure was uh, it was in Nebraska. I forget the name of that course in Nebraska. Um, I know what you mean. I remember but being there. But there was yeah. a torrential downpour. 
MDH. I couldn't go over like 20 miles an hour without the car hydroplaning. I was like really upset about that and scared. And uh, so we call Falcon and we're like on the phone with them. Like, how can we get this tire to like, what do we need to do to get your tire to perform in the wet? And like, all they kept saying is that tire is not meant for the wet. <laughs> that, <laughs> That's not helping me. <laughs> and then I, then I, yeah, I told him, I was like, all right, I am in the middle of one lap of America right now. And I need to figure out something that will at least help. And that's whenever they're like, oh, is there standing water? I said, yes. And they're like, all right, well, jack those pressures up. (laughs) Jack those pressures up. So we did, and it helped a little bit. But, I mean, the tire just wasn't – I agree with them. It was not meant for the water. (laughs) Yeah, and that was the infamous day that the uh, duck got killed by a BMW. So. Yes. So, yeah, that was a very wet day. Yeah, there was all the worms on the track in the morning yeah they were real slippery too yeah you drove over them at speed yeah (laughs) um hot take question so since you guys went into that event with no expectations just having fun and you saw the results that you guys were able to do is that when the tryhard started yes yes actually so um ncm i don't remember what at what point NCM was, it was toward the end of the week. It was the last full day of competition. Um, that was the day that we kind of tried to have everything in line. Like we were, we were like on tire pressures, um, trying to study the map. That was the three configuration day too. Yeah. Which that was, that was so much fun and hilarious. And I'm so surprised that we did not wreck. (laughs) Like it was, it was so funny because, uh, us Honda boys, you know, there's four of us and it was, it was like every single person that went off over. And I believe that's, it's called deception. Mm -hmm. The first person would go out, go off in deception, almost at the wall, come back and be like, all right, it's great out there, but this turn, deception, you got to watch it. Next person would go out right off, right there. <laughs> no, come seriously. Back. No, seriously, you need to watch it. Third person, again, we went off like every single time at deception. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's named that for a reason. Yeah. So, but you know, it, it was a, that was the day that we tried to really, really tried to go fast. Too bad it was toward the end of the competition. And that, I think that also like fueled the drive for things after One Lap of America because we were like, wow, we finished 20th and they didn't even think we were going to finish, you know, below 70. Yeah. Brock, Brock sees a Honda Civic and he's like, yeah, well, he has no respect. Shit mixer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of, it pumped us up about it. We were excited. And I think that kept, kept my drive. Cause I figured, well, I did this well at something that we were completely unprepared for. Like, could we do something good elsewhere? Could we go fast elsewhere? Now, how important it sounds like one lap was and like how much fun you had. I'm, I've been a little surprised that you haven't been back. Uh, yeah. So one lap requires a pretty large budget. 
That's for true. one week of the year, which trust me, I would if if somebody gave me all that money, I would make sure it happened every single year. I would do it. I would take off whatever work. I would convince somebody to try to do it with me every single year. It, even if I got sponsorship for like half of it, but the full amount, I mean, it's a lot it's of money. tough. It's a lot yeah. Of money. Yeah. Yeah. Plus I think that I want to have my ducks in a row for the next time I do try to do it because I mean, if I were to have tried to do it last year, there's no way I would have made it. I was trying right. to just run 700 horsepower the whole time this year. I went down to Coda for um, super lap battle. So that was just too much, yep. um, too much going on. And I, I know team Toyota uh, with their new Supra, they've been kind of telling me to come back and race them and whatnot. They want to see how, how I stack up against their Supra. Oh, yeah. So I do plan to go back, but not until the car's dialed in. I know what thing, what it needs. I know what I need, stuff like that. I have somebody that wants to drive with me. Um, I've been trying to convince Chris Kavar to do it with me, but he uh, he's so afraid of breaking the car for some reason. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, I kind of Bre- get it. Break the car. It's okay. And that that would be a lot of car to bring on the one lap. I mean, that, well, and that's a, that's the thing. I need to find the sweet spot, and I think that uh, we've proved this year that it doesn't need the 700 horsepower. It absolutely does not need it. So, dialing it back. I mean, we've had how many weekends of just lapping the car every sing- like every day every session just laps 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 and it still seems to be fine so if i do come back to one lap of america and run you know my 500 550 horsepower tune i think it's going to be reliable enough so the car that you have now is the same chassis that you had for the one lap and all this autocross stuff i say the same chassis because it doesn't it still is a Civic, but it doesn't look much like it used to. What's Correct. low boost? What did I drive it on? You drive it on low boost. Yeah, what how how much power is that? Uh it's somewhere between five hundred and five hundred and fifty horsepower. I mean that I'll be honest, that makes straightaways disappear very quickly for me. <laughs> It's kind of a fast forward button with your right foot. It's just like, okay, I want to be way over there now. And then you are. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I didn't expect it to be here that quickly. Uh, yes. I should, I should do something. So what? give us a brief rundown on what has been changed on the car from that one lap of America experience. Um, Everything. Cool. Yes. Uh, since one lap of, um, <laughs> I mean, re- really, uh, the only thing that is really the same is it's still a K20. Um, it's still the original K20 Z3 um, that came in the car. We haven't ever switched out a block. We've been running it boosted for four years now. Um, is it built up at all? 
It is now. Okay. Uh, it the, right now the block is CSS, and uh, we did all the valve train stuff that makes me makes it okay if I accidentally money shift it, which I had. I've done it many times. Right. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, it still has like the the factory cams and whatnot. We're running just a PRL turbo kit on it. Um, Garrett turbo it's something that most people can achieve if you just have a you know an eighth gen civic and buy a prl turbo kit you could with a stock motor get within 50 horsepower of my what i normally run now you did have to work a fair bit i remember with heat management in that car yes um so the car used to look like a Honda Civic until you, Scott, showed up uh, in my paddock at my first Grid Life event. Was that, that your was, first one? Where where was this again? Gingerman. Okay. Do you know that? That's right. Like I show up to the I show up to Grid Life and I'm super excited about it. Got a bunch of power, turbo, all that good stuff, and go out there and like I do all right for like a first time ever being there. And I'm like hanging out around uh, the people that I'm, I'm with and whatnot. And Scott comes over. This, hey, how's it going? This would have been 2020, right? COVID 2020. Year? Yep. Yeah. I, I remember, it's, I remember hearing like you, you and I were kind of like internet buddies for a while. And I remember somebody saying that you were coming. And so Becky and I wanted to make it a point to come down and say, Hey, to you guys. Yeah, and I I want to say you might have messaged me beforehand, like might have. something like "Hey, one lap, buddy," something like that. Um, but anyways, sounds about as vanilla as I can be sometimes. <laughs> yeah, hey right. there, brethren. <laughs> yeah, I think you're just excited that other one lap people are come. We're coming to Grid Life for sure. And um. Yeah. So anyway, you come over and it's like, Hey Scott, Hey Nick, how you, how have you been? Good. How about you? Uh, by the way, you should change all this on your car. <laughs> Dude, I was, I was so excited to see your car and I'm like, Oh, we have, to, I, I need to tell you all the things right now. Oh yeah. It was like, like I was just excited to be there and stuff. And then, and then you're like, well, if you do this, 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 uh, change that, do this. And I'm like, man, okay. Yeah, yeah. What, what was your impression of that? Because it can't be good. Well, I'm, I'm almost positive at that event. So I had a carbon fiber hood at the time. And okay. you're like, oh, you should do a, a hood vent. You should cut the shit out of this. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I did? did I did, found somebody at the track that had an 8th gen. And I swapped them. I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I swapped them hoods straight up because, I mean, I probably could have sold the carbon hood. But anyways, he had a he had a black hood and it was painted and it looked good. So I was like, heck it. Straight up. Let's do it. And uh, yeah, that's whenever I started cutting up the car. I have this really nice photo of my car like prior to that event and it's never looked the same yeah. i mean now it looks like a dumb race car yeah thanks scott <laughs> but it goes real fast 
It does. It does. So you you had to learn about cooling and arrow and all of the nonsense that's on your car. Like after Scott said, cut a hole in the hood. How did like how did you fall down the rabbit hole of turning it into what it is? Um, I think that my desire to always be better, do better. Um, I kind of came to terms. I was like, look, it, this car is pretty much on its way to being a race car. Like just get the grinder out. It's going to be okay. It's only going to hurt for a little. <laughs> and I just started cutting things up and w- with the hopes of going faster, you know? Yeah. Like you just didn't, you didn't cut it up to look cool. Like the, the point, like every time you cut a hole in the car it was for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And every time you cut it, cut something off, it just gets easier. You know, the first cut was always the hardest. And then now I could go down and cut something off without even thinking about it. Yep. <laughs> it's great. Yep. The first drill hole is like, God, it's got to be millimeter perfect or some yep. of a bitch. And now it's like, yeah, right around here is fine. Yeah. It's enough. Yep. If it gets the, uh, gets the job done, it's good. So you've got a real dumb race car. You've got like a custom mount, like a custom built swan mount, big carbon wing on the back. You've got a diffuser that we still need to play around with. You've got a big old splitter on the front, air dam, uh, arrow on the front, suspension, big old wheels and tires, Blah, blah, a lot of ECU management making many horsepower, horsepers. And what, what was, well, I guess, let me ask this first is like, so from that first grid life event, what was it about the, that experience that made you want to kind of keep coming back to grid life or did you even at the beginning? So, I wasn't sure how many grid lives I was going to go to. Um, full disclosure, uh, I didn't plan on even going to any grid life events until um, P- Peter Zhang. He he uh, grew up with me, and I saw him at a bar at one point in the off season, and he's like, "Oh man, you have to do grid life. You have to do it." And so I started looking into it, came to grid life and whatnot, just to just to kind of see what it's about, and um, he the whole winter um he told me oh you're, you're gonna be the fastest front wheel drive you're gonna break records all that good stuff i'm yeah okay pete you know and while i was there that weekend i was like a tenth off of the record for front wheel drive and street mod and i didn't even realize it until like the last session right before the last session um, Alex Arteit came up to me and was like, Nick, do you see how close you are to the record? And so we started like taping up the front end of the car, trying, <laughs> trying to get it. I ended up not getting it, but that being that close, I was like, oh yeah, I'm coming back. Nice. So Ch- chasing the record again had that, uh, yeah. Competition in you. Yeah. And, uh, I pretty much since then I've, I've actually broken a record, technically broken the front wheel drive record at every track I've been to since that day. Yep. Every single event I've broken the record since 
2020. Which, yeah, I mean, it's, again, like, I kind of get it because they didn't want to do, like, the micro awards, you know, back when they used to do, like, front-wheel drive street mod, all-wheel drive street mod, rear-wheel, you know, they kind of conglomerated them. But, yeah, front-wheel drive-wise. But it was the winter between 2020 and 2021 that you got real stupid with the car stuff. That's kind of where you went all in, big turbo management just big everything like you know throwing the money out of the window seeing if it's sticking (laughs) and you god was it last year how many transmissions did you guys go through um the transmission was out every time i drove the car (laughs) and i don't mean every time i went to the track i mean every time i drove the car I would I would go on the highway and do a pull and the transmission would come out. It was last year was ridiculous. I think I pulled the transmission out ten times. Yeah. And I only did five events. That yeah. sounds horrible. But it doesn't why? even sound fun. Yeah, so why <laughs> why? <laughs> like so after that like throwing money at the thing having the thing like i don't say be a disappointment but like constantly like you gave it so much and it's asking for so much more how did you decide to come back this year how did you decide just to no i'm gonna keep doing this well i'm very optimistic and i also don't like giving up um so and i know that there's there's always a solution there there always is and so uh last year yes i did pull the transmission 10 times but every time i did i would try to do something slightly different um try to try different things try different fluids um we even messed around with tunes to try to ease into the gear, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, with all that data that I collected from last year, this winter, we ended up, um, going with a, uh, a graph gear set, which, uh, it's a much beefier gear and found the, the main issues with it. And which has led to a very successful season this year. Um, which I, I have, you know, with all the times that we have broken it, we have learned so much, so much about the transmission, so much about obviously building it. You know, we, we could probably build these transmissions with our eyes closed. Like we just go in, it's like a walk in the park. And um, like I said, every time we did it, we learned something new Uh tested something different and I just have this bunch of knowledge on them now and I'm going to probably make changes for even next year, which will make it even more reliable than it was this year, which it was awesome this year. Yeah. You could actually do one more, like more than one flying lap at a time. Yeah. Um, the big thing that we found is that it just, just general heat, uh, caused 
the fluid, no matter what fluid it was, to get beyond its uh, yield point. And so it'd break down, cause pitting on the uh, gears themselves. And then obviously, if the gears' uh, faces have pitting on it, wait for one good smack, cracked. Um, Yeah, so it's really heat management, um, which for some reason, the whole world does not know about this. Like I've talked to so many people, even spoons, uh, FD, they don't, they don't run a transmission cooler, but I ran it. I made my own custom, uh, tall pines and I tall pines racing, which, uh, they help with transmission. Um, they, we developed this transmission cooler that has significantly helped with the fluid and it still, still does overheat because this was our prototype. Um, so it needs to be sized a little bit larger, but this winter we're going to size it a little bit larger. And I bet you next year we're going to have no problems. Do you have any airflow running to the, um, the cooler itself right now? Yeah. So the cooler I have right now is just a, I don't know, four by 10 mm-hmm. oil cooler. And I have it, uh, kind of squished between my intercooler and my rad okay which next year i kind of want to up the size of it and put it in a location in which it has more fresh air yeah i think that's going to be all i need to do and i i I hate spending money on broken parts and i hate like pulling the transmission from the car just because i've done it so many times and it's just tedious but i do love finding solutions and finding ways to make things better i love it it's great seems like a good attitude for time attack i was gonna say time attack might be for you yeah maybe (laughs) so talk me through because i'll i'll be interested to hear as well last year's car troubles and like really chasing like really playing the power game uh, in time attack, um, looking at that as a solution to winning, getting on podiums, breaking records, stuff like that. What was, what was the shift and like, what was the click for you that building the car up, um, might not actually be the answer and don't say me. Not you good uh anyways so well i would say that you're definitely a a point in which it was a a big verification um but last year we tried throwing 700 horsepower at it all the time yeah and broke transmissions of course and really i mean sometimes we did go very very quick um at mid Ohio last season, we went there a day early, uh, for they they were doing some sort of classes. And so they had open track for the people that were in the classes. And I got a part of that. And, um, we decided to run low boost to preserve the car. And so, and that was the only reason that I was running low boost is just to preserve the car, learn the track and whatnot. And that was the best event I had the whole season, mid Ohio. 
uh, I last finished year. Yep. Yep. I finished closest to number well, closest to the time of number one. Um, it, I had so many laps, but I didn't at the time. I don't think I put together that it was because I turned down the boost and I had some seat time and whatnot. Okay. At the time, I didn't. Um, so after that event, I forget what, what was after that event, but I turned the boost back up. Same same stuff breaking whatnot not doing super well and uh i think that there was a lot of reflection of the season during that off season so last winter that i was trying to figure out why i couldn't you know keep up with the top guys and we we actually kind of thought of the delivery of power and so what we did was we turned down the power for the season in like the mid range, trying to make it act more like a supercharger. Sure. And in doing that, I just made all these boost tables because I have a dial on my dash that I could just adjust the power real quick. And so we, we had different levels and I had always had this one in there is the first spot was kind of like the limp mode, a modest 500 horsepower limp mode. As as one does. Just to get by, just in case something happens. And something for the peasants. Yeah, exactly. You know, something that I really wouldn't use, but just in case. But I I ended up using it and the results were great. And I was staying out there a long time and doing well. And then um, but that would happen, you know, the first day of an event and then I would just crank it up. And the second day I would not do as well, or I would do well, but the, the lap was sloppy or something like that. And then, um, Scott at NJMP this year. Yep. This year. Yeah. You, yeah. You and I had been, I mean, we, we go back and forth as, as we do talking about largely it's arrow and driving. Most yeah. of the engine and transmission stuff, that's that's you guys. I kind of... Yeah. Like, wh- well, I'm in that, over my head there. I, ha- I have different people that I work with, different parts of the car throughout sure. between um, events and even in the off-season. But uh, at NJMP, it was really the first time that you gave me like a full coaching session, I believe. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think that's about right. That was because Brian was there. Was that the weekend I was at Cedar Point? Not Cedar yep. Point, but yeah. <laughs> oh my, my. Yeah, you gave me a full coaching session, but remotely. And what stood out to me is you kept telling me no, no more power, like keep the power low. And I was killing it the whole weekend on low power. And my driving was just like clearly better, clearly smoother. And so I, I mean, honestly, Scott, I think that was like the point where it was proven that I don't need all the power. It was definitely in the head before, yeah. but that kind of solidified, you know, what we were thinking, but we just didn't have a good way to approach. I don't know, I guess. I guess with the coaching that definitely helped. Well, 
and it's it's so easy and especially in the culture of time attack the way you go faster is you buy parts for the car i mean that's i th- i think by and large like that is a well accepted tenant of time attack if you want to go faster you get better wider tires you get better bigger brakes you get stiffer sway bars stiffer bushings you get more power bigger better arrow like it's everything's just bigger better faster which that all helps it does absolutely (laughs) in in balanced measure but the the one thing that again one lap vets um and i had kind of experiences you know you look at a car like super k who has been kind of crushing it the last few years with 400 horsepower um and they put laps in and alex is a talented driver as well um but they just put laps in after lap after lap after lap and they're they are close to like wringing the neck of what that car is capable of in its current form where it seems like all like there's so many time attack cars with all this big arrow and power and tire suspension and stuff that can do a an impressive lap but in terms of like percentage of what they're getting out of the car there's so much left on the table because the car either tries to kill them or tries to eat itself sometimes at the same time <laughs> I agree. And uh, uh, Chris and I always talk, I mean, we talk about the field and what other people are doing. And Super K was one that always popped up because, you know, whenever you do think of, oh, well, he has all wheel drive and a lot of power, or uh, the Super has got this um, crazy transmission and crazy era, which it does. Yep. Um, we always went back to Super K because it, the arrow is probably, you know, more sophisticated than mine. Sophisticated, but, but modest. Yeah, but yes, exactly. It's still modest. It's not, I don't think it is as good as, um, you know, Jackie's Supra. Um, but the fact that they're doing so well and they're so consistently well with that little horsepower you know, at first I wrote it off as, oh, it's just the chassis, you know, an S2000 chassis, whatever. Sure. Um, but no, it, I think you're right. Like, it's just putting in the laps, the consistency, you know, the, they know what to expect. They could manage the car. Um, where, like, whenever I was trying to run 700 horsepower, it's like you blow the tires off, you're going hot into every single turn. Things are heating up. Sometimes you only had one or two laps before something gave out, you know, nothing was, nothing was consistent other than it's going to fail at one point. Be ready. (laughs) Yeah. So what, what would you say then kind of up to this point? Cause your Heartland was the last event for you guys this year. It was. It was? It was. Okay. Is it so? I, I'm going to pit race this yeah, weekend. Yeah, you are. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, can't, keep, can't stay away, can you? I can't. I, I honestly, I well, messaged so my... 
What's that? It, how far is that from you? It's yeah, it's an hour and a half for me. So yeah, I had to go. I, I even messaged on my way back from Heartland. I messaged my whole family like, "Hey, I'm done for the season." And then Chris and I drove through the whole night, like left the event after the podium ceremony and then drove the whole night, got home. And then sometime through the night, I decided I'm going to do pit race. So I messaged my family the next morning. Forget about that. I'm going to pit race. (laughs) Y'all should come. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Good. Um, All right. So, well, I guess I'll, I'll ask like up until this point then. Um, and kind of looking back on the car buildup, your driver development, the team aspects, getting help and stuff like, what would you say if you were to impart wisdom on somebody just starting or looking to get into time attack, what would, and I'm not even going to limit it, but what would some of your pearls of wisdom, some of your, uh, best practices be um oh that's that's tough i I mean first and foremost one thing that i i didn't realize going into it is how much of a a team sport it is like you can do it alone but you won't go fast um the more you network the more you uh are around other people that are doing the same things the more you just stop and listen and see how other people are doing, the more you're going to be able to gear things toward your, your own build and what you are doing. Um, I think that that's probably the biggest takeaway uh, for somebody that would be getting into it. Um, Because I look back at everything that I've done and I don't know if aside from last year, just continuously trying to do high horsepower i think that like other than that i myself i think that my my gradual improvement has been great being around people uh the not fast motorsport team um robertson racing uh just just learning from everything everyone has to offer you know just everybody has something to offer if they've done if they've been doing this um what it is i don't know you have to pick it out yourself see what see what you like or what seems to work for other people but i mean i've met so many people and i've talked to so many people about things that i never thought i would talk to them about and like even like uh tim miller i never thought that i would talk to him about the things that i've talked to him about and like i i it's just amazing just talking to everybody you can gathering as much information as possible um focus on what you're doing but also kind of observe what others are doing yeah it's pretty good advice i think <laughs> we talk about one of, the, one of the first time attackers who hasn't just gone quit just quit now go <laughs> Go choose something else that doesn't hurt so bad. Sell everything and get a boat. <laughs> I, I mean, boats are expensive too. Boats are real dumb. Boats I don't are, know. I, I love doing this. Like aside from hurting money wise, um, 
I think it's been such an experience. I've met so many great people and have done so many things that uh, I'm proud of myself. It's, it is rewarding. Um, I'm sure other people have less great experiences. I'm not sure what they, what they were doing wrong or whatnot, but uh, I know at least, you know, having good friends going, trying to be positive the whole time, that seems to work for me. Yeah. Having good people around you is very important. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I wouldn't, I, I don't think I would do this if I didn't like the people I was around, you know, seems fair. Yeah. If, if you were the only one celebrating your own um, accomplishments and the people around you are just your competitors and purely your competitors, I don't think that that would be enjoyable. I like that, you know, just like you in the top 10 shootout, like that day, I think that was my the most exciting part of that day for me, which is weird. That and then getting to do that little interview with Seth, that was fun. Yeah. But like, <laughs> that, was, that was a weird day because I don't think that racing for me was great that day. My car broke a couple times, uh, throttle body. So I didn't get a lot of track time that day, but there were other things that were just so great. Yeah, teamwork seems to make the lows less low and the highs a little bit higher. Seems to float all the boats a little better. For sure. Um, so what would what would your caution about what you've been through to somebody just starting out or thinking about getting into time attack? Uh cautions? Yeah. <sighs> Like I, I would I, like I don't want to say like don't do this, but just like watch out for this or consider this. Uh I don't know. I, I would be just like I said, you should listen to people. I would also be cautious about what other people say that you should be doing. Um, because there's a lot of people that are I don't believe are doing it correctly, or even me a year ago. Uh, a year and a half ago thinking I just needed more power. Um, I think that if you listen to the wrong advice, it could also go south. Um, I don't know. Time attack is, is tough. It depends on like everybody's situation is different uh, depending on what you're coming in with, um, who you're around, what your budgets are. Um, I think that the more knowledge you gain throughout your your season, the better you're going to do and the the more exciting it's going to be. You can't just have your own knowledge go out there, expect to do well, and expect things not to break. Um, I think that it it just takes a lot to learn and take in from other people and just observe and try not to take the wrong advice. Yeah. That's stuff. You almost have to take the wrong advice before you realize it's wrong advice and like start to be, start to pick out what is poor advice for you in the first place. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and just listen to everything because you don't know what advice is going to be good and what's not going to be good. So listening is great. Like, yeah, listen more than you talk. Yeah, that's at least for me. That's life advice right there. <laughs> and here we have you in a podcast where we're like, please talk to us. I know. Trust me, I went into this kind of nervous because I don't sometimes I go on rants, but I don't normally have much good to say. <laughs> <laughs> much useful information. It's perfect. Well, where can um uh, Seth took an inhale hold on Seth. no that's okay let's let's uh we need to we need to ask nick who he wants to thank and where we can uh can learn more about him and all those those social media things and all that stuff well i would like to thank all of my sponsors um honestly like every single sticker that you see on the side of the car um there's a reason that they're there i mean everybody's helped me and even people that are not on the side of the car. Uh, my family has been super supportive. My friends, Chris Kavar. Oh my gosh, that guy. He's the man. I hundred percent wouldn't be able to do this without him because I mean, he is just there a hundred percent. My buddy sewed SM performance. I mean, everybody just seems to have my back on this. I, I think that I'm surrounded by such positive people. Um, it's just been great. Uh, Tall Pines Racing. I, obviously, my transmission was pretty crappy last year. Not crappy. It just had some tough times. Tall Pines Racing. Jason, he was there every step of the way, um, getting me parts, trying to brainstorm solutions, coming up with this uh, cooler. I mean, Robertson Racing, Scott, um, so you have been amazing, amazing for me, uh, for what, what we're trying to do. Um, I can't thank you enough. Uh, we've, we've been super proud of what you've done this year, like genuinely excited because again, like last year, I mean, you were definitely going down the, what I would call the, the path, the well-worn time attack path with car upgrades and stuff like that. And to see, I, I mean, the, the driver development's been cool, but I think more the mental approach to the whole thing, I think that's been what we've been super excited about. So we're, we're stoked for you, man. Thanks. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it too. And I, I wasn't sure if uh, I was going to take off next year or whatnot, but, and in the beginning of the season, I kind of was thinking this was going to be my last season for a while, but, um, I think that uh, New Jersey in the back half of this season just I, I feel like I got a new wind of confidence and um, performance out of myself, uh, the, the car. Um, we just we are doing things different. And like you said, we're approaching things different, different mindset. And it's it's been great. And everybody has influence on it, um, even like like people that don't think that they're influencing it. If I've talked to you about something and you've given any sort of advice or spit some facts about anything, I try to take that and incorporate it into 
what I'm doing. Um, even the not fast team, like uh, Ethan Bailey, I've talked to him about different oils and transmission fluids and whatnot. And, and the, I'd send him photos of the gears and whatnot. And we just have like a little powwow on what it could possibly be. And I mean, everybody, everybody is helping. And I definitely could not have done any of this with, without the support from everybody around me. As it turns out, people are good. So it's good that you've got, you've got a good team and people kind of helping you out. So that's been cool to see. Uh, well, we are track walking. That's what we do, I guess. Uh, <laughs> set this like, yes, sure. We are, we do that. Sure. Um, we are at track walking podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and all your places where you find, uh, find podcasts you can find us and if you do leave a review leave a leave a note because it helps people find us and uh we we like to be found sometimes so that's good so for the three of us here i'm scott and i'm seth and i'm nick and we'll talk to you next week <laughs>